0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Do you ever get asked questions? Do you? I don't know about you, but I find... I seem to spend a great deal of my life answering people's questions. Whether at work, whether at home, whether in a church context. You know, the amount of time I spend on it, it just seems phenomenal. And how do you you feel about it when someone asks you a question? Anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Because how do you feel if you can't answer it? Do you feel comfortable with that? Or does it make you feel uncomfortable? Does it put you under pressure? And what about those questions that you don't want to answer? Maybe, you know, you don't want to quite answer that because it's not what you want to say to that person at the moment. When people ask those awkward questions, you know, they normally start off with... Go on, you can be honest. How do you feel about this? Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the questions that Jesus asked people. And we've realised that they were often asked, not because he wanted to hear what the answer was, but because they made people ask questions of themselves. And I think it's fair to say that as we've looked at them, they make us question ourselves as well. Last night, um, Wendell and I were invited out for a meal at someone's house. We won't embarrass Sue and Gary by telling you who it is. But um, we, we went round there for a meal. And we got asked one of those questions. Do you fancy... Trying something a little bit exotic. <laughs> a bit unusual, something that pushes the boundaries a bit of a starter beyond even sushi. Well, it's one of those questions. What can you say? as a guy who eats curry and likes it, so that it brings out the water on the top of your head as well as
1: everywhere else?
0: You know, what can you say except yes? So a little, a little urn, I don't know quite what to call it, it was a, a tureen, was, was put on the table in front of us with a lid on it. And, uh, and Sue said, come on then, have a look in there. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, no, no, but look, it's quite unusual. And so actually Morwenda reached forward and lifted the lid. And I saw her visibly pale. Inside was a raw fish head. Now And it's a joke that goes back sometime to when Sue very kindly heard about a gift that my mother-in-law had given me on one occasion for Christmas that should have been refrigerated and hadn't been. And as I opened it on Christmas morning, as it had sat for six weeks at the prevailing temperatures, I was overcome with the whiff of off-blue cheese. And she decided to see if she could go much right better by giving us two fresh trout in the hope that we'd leave them under the Christmas tree for a couple of weeks um, but, but we caught on that when the cats took interest so this was the next stage and, it, and I think it shows a, a growing friendship but even so that question it just made us stop and think and this week we're going to look at another question that Jesus asked and this is the one he asked the rich young ruler and you can follow it if you want to in Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, do not uh, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This account of this man who ran up to Jesus is also given in some of the other Gospels as well. Here in Mark we're just told it was a man, but in Matthew he says that the man was young. And Luke describes him as from the ruling class of the time. But whatever the social status of this man, with all the advantages he had, what is clear is he wanted something he didn't have. He wanted God. He recognised that something was missing in his life. Something was missing if he was going to inherit eternal life. And we can probably imagine that scene. That scene, Jesus teaching about the kingdom, proclaiming it was coming, demonstrating it through miracles and signs and wonders. He rushes up to Jesus. And with enthusiasm, he falls on his feet. And he says, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus saw right to the heart of this the issue. Because he was seeing that this man was seeking salvation under the law. Under the strength of his own actions. And so Jesus replied, keep the commandments. The young man answered, I've kept all those since I was young. And I don't think he was being hypocritical here. I think he had some validity in his claim of blamelessness, but he had lacked understanding. Because I think he sincerely saw himself as someone who cared about God for all his life, and that's what he was expressing. So what can we learn from this interaction between Jesus and this man? Firstly, Jesus responded to this man's question with tenderness and asked a question of his own in order to draw the man out. And it's that question that he asks that focuses him on the man's deepest need. He can see there's a gap in his life and it's one that can only be filled with something spiritual. And what Jesus does is he helps the man see this for himself. And then in verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, that was probably quite different for this man. Because often people who have wealth, who have status, or have other advantages in life, are looked upon with a degree of envy, rather than with love. And so it's possible that this wealthy young man was never really certain if others truly loved him. He probably wondered whether the people who were close to him were really looking to see what they could get from him. They were looking for something they wanted himself. But Jesus wanted nothing from him. He simply looked at him, and he did so with obvious love. He wasn't expecting money from this man. He saw that his heart was towards God and he loved him for that. And then Jesus answered the man. He told him what the solution to his problem was. He listed some of the Ten Commandments and the man answered, I've kept those ever since I was young. This is a young man of wealth, of social standing, who had all the advantages in his life that the day had to give. And that had probably insulated him to some extent from the harsh realities of life. His life had probably been relatively easy and quite secure. He had everything. What could possibly tempt him to commit murder? What would make him want to steal when he had money? Why would he want to commit adultery? What would have been his temptation to lie or to defraud or even dishonour the parents who provided for him so well? Why did he look at the commandments? To understand that, we need to just remind ourselves of the purpose of the law. In Romans 7.7, Paul writes... Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would have not known what it was to covet, if the law had said, you shall not covet. In other words, the law was given to us to make us aware of when we do things wrong. The law wasn't intended to stir up in us some sense of accomplishment like it did in this young man. Rather, it's a mirror of God's righteousness. It makes us see how far short we fall from God's standard of perfection. But this rich young man, saw the law as a testimony to his own religious success. Because instead of making him aware of his shortcomings, this man saw the upholding of the law as evidence. Evidence that he was something different. Evidence that he was special. And so Jesus told him to do something that would place an even greater demand on him. Because this young man needed to discover his own inadequacy if he was really and truly going to know God. And so Jesus said to him, Go. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. I think if we read those words and we're honest with ourselves, most of us would find them difficult. But for this young man, whose identity was tied up in his status and his riches, it was just one step too much. If you contrast this with the account in Mark 14, where the woman comes to Jesus and anoints his head with that expensive jar of perfume, Some of those present then rebuked her. And it says they rebuked her harshly. Saying that that money could have been used better to feed the poor. But Jesus said that she'd done a better thing. So what we see is this is not about giving away wealth. The New Testament does not teach that all wealth should be given to the poor. But this young ruler's money had insulated him from reality and what it did was it prevented him from seeing his true self he needed to get rid of that cocoon that was around him that cocoon of security so that he could find his own inadequacy his lack of trust in God and so Jesus said give your money to the poor You know, we have to be careful we don't fall into the same trap as this young man. Because we have so many ways of giving today without getting personally involved. You know, if you wanted to, you could sell everything. You could write a cheque. And you could give it to some charitable organisations so that the funds would be used to provide for the poor. But it wasn't like that in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, there was no banking system that you could anonymously deposit money into. This young man was being asked to leave his comfortable surroundings, to take the money himself, and give it to those who were less fortunate. And I don't think the point was that he should deprive himself of his money, but actually that he should start to interact with the poor, get to know them. And find out about a whole new world that he had previously avoided. Jesus was in fact saying, walk with the poor and then follow me. That's the instruction this young man received. And he realised the difficulty of what was being asked of him. I don't know about you, but I can see something good in this young man. He was hungry for God. And that's something I feel at times. I feel a hunger for God. We want to know what is true and what is good. And the only way to find that is to know Jesus. Jesus. And that takes us on a journey that can involve being broken. Taking us to the point where we have to reach out to him just like a beggar, desperate for help. The sad thing is we don't really know how this young man's story ends because he walked away. Perhaps he was experiencing disappointment and desperation for the first time in his life. But the account continues in verse 23. It says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. The disciples were amazed again at Jesus' teaching. Because the conventional wisdom was that if a man had riches, it was because God had favoured his life. He blessed him with wealth. And yet here, Jesus was saying that a camel could go through the eye of a needle more easily than a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. Wealth can stop us from discovering critical truths. It can insulate us from worldly cares because we can start to think that if we just have enough stuff if we were just rich enough we'd be better off. But the real truth is, it's a life that's under a struggle and anxiety that makes us most willing to call out to God for help. Riches can make us settle for less. In his, in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis put it like this. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is to be given the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Wealth can take away our desire for the very presence of God. We can have so much stuff that our hunger and our thirst for righteousness dwells. Our ability to survive can take away our dependence on God. I know personally, but from Wenna and I, it's been in the times of real hardship that we have seen God's provision most. Jesus' disciples were amazed because he contradicted their thinking, but it was an advantage to have it all. Now let's be clear, this text does not teach that everyone should rid themselves of wealth. It doesn't say it's easy for the poor to get into heaven. In fact, the poor can't get into heaven any more easily than the rich can. But where they have the advantage is they're more likely to realise their need for God and their inability to please him on their own. You know, God demands a great price for access to his presence. It was a price that only Jesus could pay. And we sung about that this morning as we've looked at the cross. We can't earn God's favour. We can only receive it as a gift. His grace towards us. With man it is impossible. But all things are possible with God. Who will get into heaven? Who can please God? It's impossible. No one can do it in their own strength. In 1941, Annie Johnson Flint wrote a great hymn. It's entitled, He Giveth More Grace. I just want to read you four lines from that. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, and giveth, and giveth again. You know, we can't please God. But because it pleases God to give, he gives, and he gives, and he gives again. There's words of a song that we sing more often and uh, it's already been quoted once this morning. Lord, I'm grateful, amazed at what you've done. My finest efforts are filthy rags. But I'm made righteous by trusting in the Son. I have God's riches at Christ's expense. Because it's Grace. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more. To make you love me less than you do. And by faith, I'm standing on this stone of Christ and Christ alone. Your righteousness is all that I need. Because it's grace. And then we get to verse 28. now in this time houses and brothers and sisters mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first Peter was confused and understandably so He'd just seen this young man walk away and he'd heard Jesus' words about riches and camels and needles. He'd heard him say that no one could be saved, but with God all things were possible. And so Peter said, but Lord, we have left everything to follow you. You can hear his thoughts, can't you? What he was wondering was, what about us? And Jesus said, you haven't given up anything, that you won't get back a hundredfold. You know, every one of us has more family in Christ than we have apart from him. You can go anywhere in the world and find people you didn't know and see them become friends, welcoming you into their homes and churches in Christ's name. It's extraordinary, really. To those who follow him, Jesus promises blessing. He also promises persecution in this age, but then eternal life in the age to come. In verse 31, Jesus reminded Peter that the questions of who got the most or the least weren't actually really worthy of attention. The last will be first, and the first last. Riches have no advantage, because they have the capacity to dull our senses. And none of us has any chance of getting into heaven, except by God's grace. Rather than concerning ourselves with external trappings, We should be grateful for God's grace, for his good gifts. We should be entering into his service with joy, with thanksgiving, and looking for opportunities to express what is true. I just want to finish this morning with three observations. First, Jesus told the young man, sell everything you have. The real point is to break free from our cocoon of insulation. To see ourselves as we really are and acknowledge our need for God. If you know something is holding you back this morning from giving everything you have to God, now is the time to put that right. Secondly, he said, give to the poor. Walk alongside someone who is needy and hurting. Help someone who can benefit from that. God gives us loads and loads of good gifts. And he does it so that we can bless others. Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely give. And then he said, follow me. Go where I go. Serve others at my command and for my sake. We should be grateful for all the advantages we have. But we mustn't let them take our eyes off what is important. We need to ask God to show us what is true. To move us closer to him. To let us be a people... Who don't walk away sorrowfully like this young man, but instead choose to follow him more closely. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk